Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Mandolin Report. I'm your host, Marquise Lupton, and we have another great one for you today. We took last week off. Hope you didn't miss us too much. Uh, This makes me think about, um, I think his name is Varnell Hill, uh, back back in the day from, um, from Martin. Uh, uh, he 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 would come on, which he should have had a spinoff. But uh, folks, did you miss me? <laughs> that should have been. I I think that the uh, TV executives dropped the ball Absolutely. right there. I, I mean, that could have been a whole Martin spinoff with uh, the black sitcom. I, I mean, the black uh, talk show um, and everything like that. Could have did a parody uh, from um, from Arsenio Hall. Uh, but but hey, um, <laughs> it is what it is. Glad to be black. Uh, glad to be back. And black. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, uh, we are going to get into it. We have a great lineup of headlines for you this week. But first, Dr. K, what is going on? Well, hi. I know I started laughing early again, but that's because he's funny. <laughs> um, I am just kind of sad that I don't have any more Thanksgiving leftovers. Mmm. I just, yeah. uh, I miss everything that we cooked. It oh, was all man. Really oh, oh, man. So, so, uh, uh, uh please, please, please indulge yes, yes, us. Yes. What did y'all, so, what did y'all have on your plate? It was so funny because someone was just in the parking lot asked me, like, oh, did, was the cornbread good? I said, well, we're from the Caribbean, so we don't focus as much on those kind of things. Mm. We had curry chicken, oh. we had callaloo and macaroni pie. What? My mom did a, ma- yes, mm-hmm, Trinidad and Tobago, baby. And, um, we had a plethora. I made the curry chicken. Mm. And if I tell you one thing about my mother, she is a like presidential chef. And she tasted my curry chicken. Yeah. And she said it was good. Hallelujah. Oh, <laughs> oh well then. So I passed. That's like, now I can bring, you know, like you can't take mac and cheese for right, the first time. Right, right, right. So I cooked this curry for her like two or three times a week because my made it for holiday yeah and i passed the test people ate it up so then you done upgraded i didn't upgrade oh man so so then this upgrade is like a gift and a curse because now that they know it's like baby can you bring the exactly. potato salad exactly <laughs> like, right. I, I wasn't planning on, wait a minute they, i, do, I, I, I don't have all my ingredients i can't <laughs> <laughs> i'm not making but all the, the right things but yes it was a wonderful thanksgiving awesome um we were down south so it was nice and it was it was moderate weather but it wasn't cold mm-hmm. um, and then I got off the plane and I was like it's 25 degrees oh man it's 25 degrees that so, had yeah. to hit you like bam hit me in the face it oh the man face. in the face in the face oh, yes man. yes <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh, uh, folks uh, we are talking about today on today's show Pennsylvania among the worst states for jobs wow yeah yeah um, a Florida Republican senator proposes a bill banning on the state from paying reparations so now they're going to try to create laws to try to stop reparations man oh man and and then and then also um a report finds 65 percent of black professionals cover their authentic selves at work that was kind of uh high for me i i thought you know maybe it's 50 50 but Hi, I thought the sixty-five was kind of low. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're going to wrap up the show uh, for that. So, folks, this is the Melanin Report. We got our cousin on here, so let's get into it. Our first story: Black female-owned micro businesses soared in twenty twenty-three, and that's according to a new study. Black women jumped. 
full force into the micro business industry in 2023. And that's according to a new report published by GoDaddy Venture Forward. And they released this on November 28th. In August, Venture Forward interviewed 6,000 small businesses across the U.S. and U.K. for their 10th annual national survey. And the report found that black women have been dominating the micro business sector this year, not only in the United States, but also in the U.K., And according to the 15% of micro-businesses in the U.S., those were owned by black entrepreneurs and 68% of those businesses were owned by black women. Mm -hmm. The study found a similar trend in the U.K. Black entrepreneurs owned 5% of the micro-business industry this year. And those uh, and of that 5%, 60% were owned by black women. Hmm. And black women have been the fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs in the U.S. A 2021 study found, J.P. Morgan Chase found that black women-owned businesses grew 50% from 2014 to 2019, Mm. and black women accounted for 42% of all women who opened a new business during that time and represented 36% of all black employers. Man, man, man. Those are numbers. We're doing numbers. Right, right, right. And then approximately 61% of black female entrepreneurs started businesses in health, retail, education, government, or social services. Man, man, mic drop. Mic drop, That's mic amazing. drop. That makes me so happy. I'm just sitting here smiling. <laughs> yes, yes, queen. That's amazing. <laughs> Go, you better do it, girl. Right. Yes, you know. Yes, yes, and like this, this, this makes me feel so good because I have two daughters, and then when I see this trend, I'm like, oh, okay. If this trend keeps on trending, then this is going to possibly put them in a great situation. You know, at 14, 15, mm-hmm. 16 years old, um, and and they'll be offered. Uh, some some insights, especially in the business Absolutely. world, uh, that that may not have been offered to prior generations. Yes. You know, um, uh, one thing that that I love that black women do um, is is they send that elevator back down mm-hmm. um, um, and, and, and always make sure that, like, y'all aren't the only one. That's like, right. like, like, sis, brother. Come with me um, and we're going to hold this space yeah. together. And and I feel like we're seeing it happen in real time right here with these numbers what Absolutely. say you i think um this is very indicative of coming out of the pandemic so i have so we have one wild out there theory and it's not that wild and out there but i don't have a source so i always say listen this is my opinion but i think of women entering the the micro leading in the micro business space in the same way that i think about how stay at home moms run very complicated organizations in the home and can Mm. multitask in a way that um, other genders, non-caring genders, like people who are not doing the care work, um, they don't have to do that. So I know just from the pandemic, I saw a lot of people pivot to do things, but none other, particularly in my community, than black women. Black women in this community... Um, and I'm going to shout out um, someone in a second, Elise Irvis, for her company yeah. that helps Woo! with this. Um, but not so all across, and men were doing it too. But it was such an there was such a wellspring among, among Black women in the community yeah. who were starting 
Side hustles. That's what we call micro businesses. <laughs> and um, their side hustles, though, were so unique, so professional that it. And I, you could tell there was like a learning network that was happening. Mm. Um, one of those people that started doing these pop ups and had a space during the pandemic in our area is Lise Irvis. Shout out to the and homie. Sh- how, shout out to the homie for La Cultura. Yeah. Um, and black um, on the black app and everything like that. But what is interesting about Elisa? She moved from having this singular business where she was trying to bring see, uh, black business owners together to having a, a singular space, right, where she would, oh, everybody come, let's vent. But she moved into the space where she's coaching mm. the CEOs to avoid the pitfalls. Now that her business is over the three-year, four-year, five-year mark, yeah. helping these early-stage CEOs get through some of these kind of immediate pitfalls that could really put you, you know, put you out, yeah, out the game. Um, and so watching that evolution too, Elise has always been a visionary. So it, it's not, so these, these things don't surprise me if you know of somebody like Elise mm-hmm. who was able to see once that started happening, the very elemental building blocks that were needed yeah. in order for people like we're coming out of the pandemic. We're still, Elise is starting back her pop-ups. You see some of those same people and a large majority of them are the same ones coming right out of the pandemic. And mm. a lot of them are black women. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm uh, not, only, I'm not, not only am I not surprised by the numbers, but I, in my mind, I feel like there are leases because it's so the, the wellspring is so widespread in my mind, especially in these city centers. I imagine there's leases all over the place right. helping keep these networks together, these build these ecosystems so that we can keep seeing, you know, these kinds of numbers. Um, I'm hoping, I hope maybe we'll, you know, by 2024, 2025, they'll have some updated numbers to yeah. see who persisted. Right, right, right. And I cannot wait to look into those numbers and hear those numbers because I honestly, uh, again, this thing I, I feel like is going to keep on trending yes, up. Yes, for sure. You, you know, um, and, and we're going to see another a- explosion. I would say um, in about a decade, uh, we'll see another push because we, we will have these Elise's preparing absolutely preparing these business owners um and uh yep. some um some some points here before our next story um according to jp morgan's 2021 report black business owners who apply for funding have a rejection rate that is three times higher than that of white businesses around 61 percent of black women self-fund their startup capital yeah um so uh that that's where elise fills that gap uh so that's right uh hopefully there'll be more like her especially after you the listener shares this story and finally according to GoDaddy venture forward's latest survey 29 percent of women and 38 percent of men in the u.s made over one hundred thousand dollars annually from their micro businesses wow. And in the UK, 27% of women and 34% of men earned $100,000 annually. And many of the micro businesses surveyed had fewer than 10 employees. Mm -mm -mm -mm. So y'all can do it. Can be done. Y'all can do it. So let's get to our next story because our next story kind of connects with why you should start a micro business, especially in Pennsylvania. Mm Mm-hmm. And our second story, this is kind of disheartening here, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, oh man, the good old Keystone State um, is among the worst states for jobs. Wow. 
Wow. Man. And and that that Jeez. that made me think like, all right, there was a time period uh when 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 I was unemployed uh for for almost two years. And not for the sake of not trying. It right. was just that just could not find anything. Had the had the interviews and everything like that, but just could not get hired. And it yep. always made me think like, is it something with Pennsylvania, because after that stint, I applied for a job in another state and got it immediately. And it made me think, is there something with Pennsylvania? So I think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I the, mean, the article also says so, right, but... Right, right, right. But that story you're telling, yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. It was hard as heck to get a job when I first got out of grad school here. Yeah. And that was years ago. And people are reporting similar kinds of issues now, and that's why a lot of people are doing this anyway. Remote work, where they are working in companies based in other states, right? In Pennsylvania, so. right? And and have also started micro businesses. Micro businesses. <laughs> yeah. I, I like hustle. That. I like the micro business. Yeah. Uh, so the Associated Press reported how the U.S.'s unemployment rate has stayed below four percent for the longest stretch since the 1960s. Nevertheless, the U.S. Bureau of Statistics released data regarding which states are still struggling with unemployment as of October 2023. Now, a separate report has deemed Pennsylvania as one of those states. WalletHub, which describes itself as an award-winning personal finance company that empowers consumers to lead financially healthy lives with a number of services and tools, published this report last week, simply titling it Best and Worst States for Jobs 2023. Mm, That's it. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The report, based on the grades of all 50 states across two main dimensions, which are job market and economic environment. And these dimensions were weighed on relative metrics, as in job opportunities, share of civilian labor force, and unemployed 15 weeks or longer, as well as monthly average starting salary. And among them, and lifted from the sources, um, is is uh, came from Indeed.com um, and the Council for Community and Economic Research. Now, say all that to say what? Pennsylvania ranked as the fifth Not in the top five. Fifth worst (laughs) state for jobs in the country and received a particularly dismal grade in economic environment. Now that I'm not surprised at. Yeah. Uh, When I saw economic, I was like, ooh, if they put that in there, (laughs) then we are not going to get a good grade. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, um, Dr. K, for yourself, after, after reading this report, what was some of your immediate thoughts and reactions with this? Well, my one of my immediate thoughts and reactions is we work in, uh, I do some volunteer work in a sector that is um, for IT, to, to bridge the IT gap in the region. Okay. And um, it's a, you probably heard me say this, this phrase before, guys, but there's a chain of custody issue with how we mm. get people into these jobs. So, allegedly, there's some open jobs, right? Yeah. But, the companies are all saying, well, we we can't fill this huge, I think Central P is like 1,500 jobs every month, right? Even with this jobs report, yeah, the um, just in our area, it vacillates between like 1,400 to every month open jobs in IT. And so we, they formed this partnership to try to tackle this issue. Mm-hmm. But what do we find when we're doing this work? 
all the companies have one narrative. We can't find people to fill the jobs. Yeah. We can't. They're not qualified. They don't do this. They're that. Whatever their criteria. So they can't find anyone. Mm-hmm. So these jobs sit open. But they say for, I don't know, beer, labor, and statistics purposes that they have these open jobs. Right? They say them. But in effect. So then we start examining the pipeline. Mm-hmm. We're like, how do we get the kids from here to this? To right. IT jobs. Um and one of the things you find is we're not half the employers are partly right. They're not these are not skills they're learning. Mm. So the economic if you can't so looking at that's why I said that's what I said in the beginning, I said if they were grading us on economic environment, the the conditions you need to get your economy where you need it to be mm-hmm. in this area, broken. It's very mm. broken. And you can take our school district for an example. Yeah. We don't even have a Votech in the county anymore um so we have to you know well it's dc tech but um you what william penn was supposed to be we don't have that here Mm -hmm. um so your environment literally in the environment to have good jobs have have um all these different things it's in a shambles yeah it's in a shambles oh man (laughs) so and not even having a vote tech really yeah. So um wow. we what the, William Penn was supposed to be that and mm-hmm. it didn't and it didn't didn't uh pan out. So yeah. Wow. Wow. I I know um I know in in um in Lancaster County there's those uh CTC schools um and then um and then Stevens has has even right. partnered with um uh with McCaskey there which, which I think that they should expand that because you see the yeah. success um and, and then hopefully that could uh, help help uh fill those jobs yes. because um jobs jobs in places like um high steel yeah you know high steel the steel industry the steel workers you know they're talking about we need more more welders yes. more people no. that know oh, how to everything yes you, you know um and it feels like you know Guys, there's the answer right here. Yeah. It begins with education. You know, you you educate your base, then they'll be able to right. fulfill these f- fulfill these jobs. They can't they can't get there. But I did I know I was wrong. There is a Dauphin County Tech School, but what the what I was referring to is what William Penn was supposed to be all those years ago. Mm. We didn't have so and this is a very interesting school because there are so many kids who don't have the opportunity to even get there capacity wise. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, it was what uh, we do have Dolphin County Technical School. I just want to make sure I say that. Uh, and and that's that that's actually something um, uh, that that more melanated folks should look into uh, is is the IT field. Uh, uh, shout out to my man Frank. Um, I seen how once he really got into IT. Yeah. How that literally literally changed his life. In a handful of years. Oh, it changed my Literally. life. Literally, my first job out of um, graduate school for a, for adult and comparative international ed mm-hmm. was in the IT field. I didn't oh. go to profess. I didn't do any of that, and my outlooks were outlooks were dismal because of that. Because I would mm. I refused to go into to um, academia. I was like, I do yeah. not want to be a full time professor of anything. Yeah, um, I didn't even nothing. And I came out, and I my first real job. After I attempt a little bit, but my first real excellent paying job mm-hmm. in Central Pennsylvania was in IT. I, I was on a hospital IT team for seven years. Oh wow! So it's so it's interesting to see. I don't know if you have transferable skill. I think it it could work. I think um, it's life changing. You you get mm-hmm. some of these opportunities. It really is. It's very much life changing. But 
we can't we can barely get folks there. Right. Well, um, I'm going to combine the two businesses. I mean, the two uh, stories here, and um, and I'm going to get me some um, black women to join up <laughs> with, and we start a uh, IT micro business. I love it. <laughs> put 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 all the ingredients that are working. Uh, put all those together. That's amazing, uh, actually. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> so uh, before we go to our next story, uh, some some points here, um, just to let you know who we are accompanied with on this uh, bottom of the oh list or God. top of the list, however you want to look at it. Oof, uh, right in the middle. Okay. <laughs> Louisiana comes in as the fourth worst state for jobs. Mississippi as the third worst. Kentucky in second. And West Virginia has the absolute worst state and we're for in the top five. And we're right there. <laughs> right there. Man. Man. Shapiro! <laughs> Help! Help! Because what? Yeah. That is embarrassing. <laughs> and got, they got us on list with Mississippi. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? That we are better than this. Sorry, no, no, no tea, no shade to uh, Mississippi. Mississippi. But that, <laughs> I thought, man. And um, and on the flip side, uh, here's the top five. Um, so number five is Florida. Um, number four is Vermont. Number three surprised me is Utah. What? Number two, Virginia. Number one, Washington State. So. so wow. Yeah. Yeah. So the best place to get a job, uh, uh, apparently, um, in, in this area is Virginia. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. In this area. Well, I mean, when you think about it, too. DC, DMV. DC's there, all that's there, and they also have a concentration of different types of like schools and and certifications and things you can do that are concentrated. Mm-hmm. Like they've got that also got the support structure around them, you know, the jobs. Yeah. It's hmm. So then, Virginia's getting it right then. I think so. Oh man, Shapiro! <laughs> you better go talk to your girl. You better go, hey, yo, Regina. Right. <laughs> I need some pointers. Let me hide with you real right. quick. <laughs> Let's get to our third story. And our third story. Things are getting weirder. Dexter I really Wade. don't like this story. Me neither. Okay. Me neither. I just want to say that. This, this. Oh, man. Um, um. This is one of those situations where, like, um, it's like, this could be me. Absolutely. You know? Um, So, Dexter Wade was killed, buried, and now exhumed without his family's knowledge. Uh, So, earlier this year... This is wild. Dexter Wade was fatally struck by a police car in Jackson, Mississippi, and buried by the county, unbeknownst to his family. Now, the authorities have yet again moved behind the family's back by exhuming his body without them knowing. What in the world? Wade's family was told his body would be exhumed around noon Monday, and this was from a report from WJTV. However, when the family arrived, they were told that he was exhumed already at 8 a.m., hours before they arrived. Civil rights attorneys uh, Ben Ben Crump said this proves once again that the cops are trying to cover up Wade's death. And nobody got permission from the family to take Dexter out of the ground in the early morning hours. And this is what Crump said to WAPT. And he also continues to say that it was an agreed upon decision with the county that Ms. Betterston 
Wade would be here at 11.30 to commence the exhumation of her son. Like a thief in the night, they came and took the body out of the ground. What are they hiding? They're hiding everything. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's the audacity for me. So you, you murder this person. You kill them. Okay, fine. Is that nobody? Because nobody hasn't even been charged with anything. Right. So you kill this person. We don't know if it's murder. I would say probably vehicular manslaughter. Yep. Um, you bury him because you claim that he couldn't be identified. So you quickly bury him. Yep. Because usually you at least have some time. No, no, no information was put out to say identify this person. Mm-hmm. Nobody came to claim his body. Nobody, nobody even knew he was. He was gone. Gone. Right. So that happens. Then you, um, then when you, then you wouldn't let it took forever to her to be able to even understand, know, and see, understand the details. Now you exhume without permission. Yeah, you're hiding everything, obviously. And who ran the person over? Are they still working there? What is happening? And why is it that this family? I'm glad Ben Crump's involved because all I can say is they're about to put them through the ring. They might take the whole township out of <laughs> uh, practice. But um It why, might be Wade Township by the <laughs> So um but but why why do they have this level of audacity? Why would you mess around with a family like this, a mother yeah. and and think nothing of it? And the only thing I could think, the only answer to that is because you are hiding everything. Everything. And as long as you can hide, that is what you'll do. Uh, who are they being investigated? What's happening? You know, and like it's not enough. It's not enough that to me that Ben Crump is um, doing this. I think it's great for them. But it is it is inhumane what they've done to this man and now done to his family. Absolutely. And it's unconscionable that you would continue to cover this up to cover your own behinds. That's what I see. You are covering your y'all's everybody because it's a fail. It's a systemic failure. Right. For it to sit for so long. She decided so three months after her son, three or four months after her son passed away. That's. I can't. I can't imagine any it, that hell and heaven and earth would not move if that mm. was another, right. another one of their kids, one of their family members. So right. it's just very heartbreaking to me. It's just another, just another kick for what? Right. The and, disrespect. And, oh. and they went. They went months saying that we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. The disrespect. It's yeah. so disrespectful. And then, then now the details are coming out. Oh well, somebody was supposed to make a call. He was ordered to do it, but he ain't do it. What? That's what? Where's the investigation? Did y'all right. who y'all know who was driving the car? Y'all know all the details of that. Is that person? In, in, are they still? What's happening with them? And why don't we know that person's name? And why name? don't we know them? It's it's the cover up for me. It's how they protect mm. these people's identities. How they protect their lives because oh they're gonna be you know put through the ringer if people find out who it was. Just like they just killed a person. Just right. like they just disrespected this family at every point in the every point. entire narrative. I'm mad. I'm mad. This this happened um, March 5th. He was struck and killed by an off-duty Jackson police officer's patrol car on March 5th. By July, he was buried by the county without his family's knowledge. Ms. Wade didn't discover what happened to her son until August. Oh, so many more months than that. So here we are. Here we are now at the end of November and they're still playing this game. Um, civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump um, is is calling on the uh, Department of Justice um, to get involved. And and some points before we get to our our fourth story here. Um, 
Ms. Wade discovered this summer that her son was uh, struck and killed by a police cruiser um, back in March. And according to Attorney Crump, the coroner's office identified Wade days after he died and ordered the Jackson <gasps> Police Department to notify the family. That call never happened until August. That call didn't happen until August. Bananas. Point number two, uh, the plan moving forward following um, uh, Wade being exhumed is to conduct an independent autopsy and host a funeral to allow Wade's family the opportunity to say proper goodbyes. And Reverend Al Sharpton will deliver the eulogy for Wade's funeral and has recently joined Crump in calling on the Department of Justice to investigate his death. Obviously. So uh, we're going to leave it right there with uh, that story and get to our fifth story of the day. And our fourth story. <laughs> Excuse me. Our fourth story. I, I was I was so quick. That just punched me in the gut. <laughs> I was like, fuck. Boy, carry the word. All right. Man, man, man. And I'm going to leave it in there. And <laughs> I'm not going to edit it out. <laughs> so y'all know that I'm human. <sighs> All right. So our fourth story. Uh, Florida Republican senator proposes bill banning state from paying reparations. Ew. So, a Republican <laughs> senator from Florida <sighs> is doing all he can to ensure the state doesn't pay reparations to, to, to those who deserve them. Uh, senator Blaze Angolia uh, filed the constitutional amendment for consideration during the upcoming 2024 ballots. Angolia, a former chairman of the state Republican Party, wants to put the proposal SRJ 582 on the legislative session which starts in January 2024. The conversation surrounding reparations has started in numerous states, including California, where votes to move on the proposal have already been scheduled. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, his bill would ban the state, its counties, municipality, or any political party from paying in the form of reparations to people who are descendants of enslaved people who lived in the United States before December 6, 1865, which is the date when the 13th Amendment was made valid and officially ended slavery. With mm -hmm. Florida being a heavily Republican represented state, the bill must be 60% approved by each house before being placed on upcoming bills. So as our resident uh, uh, Floridian, uh, we will we Embarrassing. will we will start with you, Dr. K. Yeah. So this obviously is it's such a funny thing because the revisionist historians are very bent on one lessening the 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 effects of slavery and you know it was good for the slaves and trying to erase any mention of like any hardship um, and highlighting. What was it? The the facts about slavery that were almost all false that we covered that one story. Mm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. So in, instead of so they're they're busy doing this that they are forgetting that if you pass a bill saying that people shouldn't get reparations, you're admitting. <laughs> Come on. Come on. That slavery was the atrocity that it was. <laughs> so it's funny how on one end, it's like they're trying to, you know, any way they can to just hurt hurt black people, obviously. Yeah. 
But one, the revisionist is is actually antithetical to this side because if it didn't happen, then there's no re- re- reparations. Is not even a discussion, right? Because right? you were fairly compensated. Nothing needs to be reparated. You don't. There's no conversation around that, right? But you, on one hand, you're trying to revise it so that you don't feel bad about yourselves and you and your descendants. And on the other hand, you're like, well, we, they can't get reparations because then. But wait, we can't say reparations. It's like this weird circular logic. Yep. But the, but the bottom line is they don't want us to have any kind of economic repairment recruitment. Right. And that's really that's really what it comes down to. And and what I got uh, from this as well um, is is that um, if 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 you're going to be running for president. Um, because I'm, I'm assuming, uh, folks. This is just my uh, assumption here. We're gonna um, call these prophecies. I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Prophetic words. <laughs> if you want to run for president, you have to be mean to black people. You have to be mean to bipoc, um, to bipoc folks. And, and and this is one of those things that like this this Florida senator yep. can can stand on and say that. You know, well, my 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 opponents, they were they were against reparations, That's right. but. I put it or tried to put it into law That's right. to stop rep- it's it, it's this insidiousness it's this meanness oh, yeah. like if I can show you that I'm mean to the other side then I'm your guy and that ain't politics nope like that's 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 on some gang stuff to be literally to be very honest we don't like those third street cats. I'm a lead second street because I'm the meanest to those third street cats. Now I'm your leader. Like that's that's oh, yeah. where we're going. Not the going. Other thing that's where we're doing. At. The other thing they're doing from a political standpoint is they are virtue signaling. So mm. they are doing the thing yes. where they're like, I'm going to throw out this completely has nothing to do with reality question. Though if you read the bill, well, what's read what what the bills are? It's not. This it's a it's an uh, it would not be an, a document that could be enforceable on a like on a level. But all that to say, it they're doing this thing where they throw out these completely ridiculous premises, mm-hmm. ban the state from giving reparations, so they can they can test the machines that are behind them can test how brainwashed some of our elected officials are. Yeah. Cause the, or money wash because they're giving a lot of money to vote in the Florida legislature that they are. They're giving a lot of money and endorsements and trips and whatever the else is to vote the way these companies and other ones want them to vote. So these votes are like this. I throw out this like huge stinky bait and y'all are going to vote. And if you abstain and if you don't vote yes or no, especially on that other side of the aisle, we're not going to fund you. We're not going to fund your initiatives because we know that you may question us on something that's more reasonable. <laughs> right? Like, you, that, that could be slid in there as more reasonable. This is right. outlandish. I always, there's, a, there's a group called ALEC. They write 80% of the Republican legislation in this country. It's probably higher mm. now. And ALEC is a group that you'll see. That's why the article mentioned other states. ALEC is sliding in, and, they're, and ALEC is a very... Uh, prominent bill drafting company in the country and everybody just turns a blind eye to them literally just copy and pasting things and giving it to senators to run these agendas um and i'm alec it is it's a for real thing um but they'll they'll pop these things up all over the state one of their other initiatives um when they're doing gas and oil the nra they do all those and they Put these in state legislators across the country, so you're mm-hmm. seeing these like carbon copies. Um, so that's what I think is happening. I think this this uh, 
bill is a part of a concentrated effort, and they're testing the 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 actual commitment of these people, like this guy and others mm-hmm. who are presenting these bills, um, and getting paid a lot of money to do to do that to um, fracture and to and to split. Uh, the government on purpose and bring them far apart. Um, you, you know what that uh, that kind of reminds me of. Then uh, that kind of reminds me of um, uh, Trump's Trump's speech uh, when when he was a candidate and and started talking about uh, what what the Mexicans are doing uh, that there should be a Muslim ban mm-hmm. um, and, and everything like that. It it, it seems like. That was kind of uh, te- testing the limits yes. to see how far I can take, to see how far I can push this thing. Oh, yeah. And to see who's going to be out here with That's right. me. That's right. And then who who can I get to be out here with me that are kind of on the um, uh, um, uh, fringes? So, That's right. So I, as, as Bossier always says about Trump, you had until last week. Do you still support him? 90, 91 charges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, insurrection, an insurrection later, twice impeached. You are still supporting. Yeah. He's, you, he's universally unattractive. But it's that point. He pushed that envelope and pushed the envelope. I had a friend who is a professor at, um, at, in Jersey. She said, I am almost envious of Trump. Mm. He, he is what I wanted Obama to be, but on our side, to push the right things to, like... I, I thought it was just an interesting comment. And I was like, I never thought about that. But he did whatever he wanted. He found a way to do it. And he didn't care about the base's support or not, really. He was like, they're going to support me. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. And he did it. And they did. Teflon Don. <laughs> Teflon Don. So, uh, some, so, some points before we get to our actual... Fifth story. Oh, here. Is, there, is, there, is there a real five? Yes, yes, That's yes. Nice. There's a real five. Like <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, point one. Uh, another bill um, is up on the legislative calendar. Uh, is the Historical Monuments and Memorials Protection Act, and according to CBS 12 News, the bill would protect monuments honoring Confederates and keep them on public display. Specifically, a Confederate general who escaped to Mexico and Cuba to avoid being arrested for treason. Um, and point two, the former chairman also uh, worked hard to rid the state of the ultimate cancel act in 2022, an attempt to silence the state's Democratic Party. Talking about Angolia, his moves would require the division of elections yep. to immediately cancel filings from a party if certain conditions exist, including if the party's platforms had supported or ad- or advocated for slavery. It was during this time that Southern Democrats wanted slavery to continue. So insidious. Insidious. In insidious. And it's not going to stop here. Oh, and no. and honestly, it's getting more creative. And that is the scary part. On to our fifth story. And our fifth and final story of, of the day. I want to thank you for joining us and rocking out with Dr. K and I as we oh, give yeah. you these these headlines. Do not forget to share this with a friend because friends do not let friends the melanin report right. alone. This is one of the most brainiest things you will hear on brainiest. your... <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Yes, yes. So uh, make sure you share this. The holidays are coming up. Put this on, and it is definitely a conversation starter. Indeed. So our fifth story. Reports find 65% of black professionals cover their authentic selves at work. What is this? Well, we're talking about code switching 
and much more. Are we surprised? Are nah. we surprised that black people do these things? I I was surprised at the number, and this is the conversation that I am excited to have okay, because great. I thought that this number was kind of high. <laughs> you thought it was kind of low. Yes. So, so yeah. So, um, while 60% of employees report masking their identities in the workplace, the incidence of covering is higher for black workers. And this is according to a new report from Doolittle's DEI Institute. The Institute partnered with the Meltzer Center for Diversion, Inclusion, and Belonging at the NY School of Law to conduct a study titled Uncovering Culture. And within the past 12 months, three-fifths out of the 1,269 adult survey respondents engaged in covering behaviors. Out of that group, 65% of black respondents reported doing so. The research confirms a similar percentage in 2013, highlighting the stark reality that workers continue to cover or code switch at work to avoid negative stereotypes and to be seen as competent and valuable. Because covering is by definition an attempt to downplay an identity to blend into the mainstream, it is not surprising that survey respondents from non-dominant groups in the workplace generally reported higher rates of covering than those from majority or dominant groups. Wow. So going to uh, put, put a pin in it right there because I want to get to this conversation um because <laughs> if you ask uh if, if you ask me uh marquise do you cover hey look man i'll tell you right now i'm covering right now <laughs> <laughs> right this right, second. Here, right right when you hear me right, right now mm-hmm. um I, I i am covering right now the the lang the language and lingo of marquise lupton that you get on the melanin report is different from the marquise lupton that you get 100%. on the spark is different from marquise lupton that you get on the street you, yeah. you know um, um, and, and that's, that's the whole package. Yep. Like everything is, is different. Yeah. What say you, Dr. K? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I saw this, I was like, I kept on reading cause I'm like, okay, 65% of it was in some subset, uh, kind of work. I'm like, oh, they just mean overall. That can't be right. That's gotta be more because I've never met a black person ever met a black. I've never met one black person ever, especially black people, maybe some Hispanics, but especially black folks who don't do some kind of code switching. Absolutely. You're right. I've never met one. So mm-hmm. this 60 number, maybe people, I think people are delusional also a little bit about what code switching means. Mm-hmm. Because even people who are the preppiest at work and and very much are um, really chasing after that, that dominant culture aesthetic, I guess, um, even they code switch around other black people. Yeah. And so it's funny how I think people don't realize, you don't, and, and it's maybe not delusional, but you really, some people really don't realize what code switching is and what it means. Like I have a friend in our, in my, in my high school friend group, she was the most, you know, preppy. She was black and Indian mm-hmm. and she was the preppiest one and, you know, talked real, you know, white for mm-hmm. lack of a better um, terminology, and she even co- would code switch when she got around just us. Yeah, right. And we went kind of went on it kind of loosely all day. Mm-hmm. But she, even she would code switch, and we knew that she was. We knew that she was the. She would do it even most of the time outside of school, outside of these settings. Yeah. So like, I feel like it's born and bred into a lot of us, especially because it is equated with success. It's equated with you can't be successful in your normal tone. Right. You can't just be successful saying, hey, you know what I'm saying? I think I'm real smart. You just can't talk like this all the time. Right. Why? Because we have given 
this other voice that we put on, the voice of success, the voice of right. whatever. Um, so I think I think it's I think it's so normalized that this. Uh, that's why I think the number is low. Ah, so low. And and to that point, uh, Doctor K, you have pulled me over to your side. <laughs> you have you have pulled me over to your side because yo, like like this this is a constant topic of conversation. Yeah. Whether whether you're talking about it, you know, with friends from church, whether you're talking about it with uh, friends from the barbershop, whether you talk about it, friends, you know, while working out, like oh, yeah. like we we have to constantly have have this cover on and for and for black men you know for for taller black men like myself we have to put this cover on even in a non-verbal oh, absolutely sense as well you know like um for for myself you know um i i won't be in an elevator by myself with a absolutely. white woman I I won't do that if if, if I'm walking on on the pocketbook side yeah. of, of of any woman I will make it a point Absolutely. you know if, if I'm walking behind them I will make it a point to walk on the non pocketbook yeah. side just so that they feel a little bit more safer you know because I know I know the negative stereotype that's out there six two black man with a beard yep and and locks and he's always six two that, right. Right, he is right. Always six two. You know, so so like I I I get what um what what society yeah. you you know has 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 done with folks that look like me absolutely and and this covering you know it's what society has done with folks that talk like us as well because oh, there's this thought that there's there's a lack or or dearth of education. If you talk with some slang, with a with a with AAVE in particular, right, right, and and that that is definitely definitely not the case. It's really not. It's funny because I I think of I think of the struggle has been over AAVE since they started having conferences about AAVE Mm. and just like bringing in into academic discourse, and this started blowing up in the early mid two thousands when I um when I was going grad going trying to get into grad school Mm -hmm. and um. I sat there thinking we would rather pu- punish out cultural expression out of somebody, which provides you with the dearth of intelligence, actually, mm. when you're able to explore it and not suppress it. We'd rather punish that out of people by assigning success to a dominant culture way of speaking or talking or thinking or looking in a society. We'd rather do that um, than actually have a actual, intelligent, successful, deep-thinking you know, critical forward advancing society. It just makes me, we lose so much when we have to do this. You lose yep. so much when you have to, you have to cover in order to appear intelligent when that's not, that's not intelligence. I don't right. even know how else to think about it. Um, that's not intelligence. That's not, but these things also get positive for these negative concepts get positive reinforcements, right? So when you are promoted because you can talk a certain way, when you are promoted and favored because you can, code switch really well and you know how to do it to perfection and you are not rewarded for being yourself i would i would that's why i would believe this number mm. because people that's it's not code switching this is who i am now i don't have to i've i've fully assimilated into american whatever mm. So. Mm. i have i have reached the top <laughs> level <laughs> i have reached the top level you, you know um uh, this th- this really makes me think about uh being being in high school 
uh, being at Lancaster Catholic. Again, shout out to Lancaster Catholic. Yeah. Um, being one of four black males wow. um, to, to, to be in my graduating class. And, and I refused. I refused to say the word dude. <laughs> because I felt like way like, to resist my brother. Because <laughs> <laughs> I felt like like I I cannot completely lose Absolutely. my identity. Like, Absolutely. Like in the hallways, I'm not talking how I normally did when I went to public school. You know, um, even even my hair, the way that yeah. I had my hair um, um, braided, that that was an issue. Shout out to my dad. I'm glad he was big and black because they let me go. Uh, but <laughs> but but um, but but even e- even with that, like I I just felt like being there. I was just shedding my identity, shedding my that identity. Is so traumatic. Um, um, and and then being a news reporter. Same thing, you know, no facial hair. If you have, you know, quote unquote, long hair, it got to be in that, you know, non-threatening half fro like on Don Lemonhead. (laughs) Like (laughs) it had to be it had to be that, you know, you had to look as as non-threatening. Yeah. And I'm like, well, who do I look threatening to To by looking like this? That's right. That's exactly right. You know what? What what am I conforming to? Because sometimes I don't even know. What I'm conforming to, um, and, and and this is all a, a part of you know that um, company culture. That oh company God. culture. Company culture is the one. Right? And, you know, I was I was fired from a job because I quote unquote didn't fit the company oh, culture. Yeah. Even though I spoke to everybody when I came in, said hello, you, and, and 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 everything. You know, um, and the CEO even said, "Oh, you're like a celebrity every time you come in here." You know, but. Then I was let go because I didn't fit the company culture. Okay. And with that job, I made it a point, mainly because, and this is going to let you know what job it was, (laughs) (laughs) mainly because I was the executive director of Christmas Addicts. I was like, okay, well, I can be myself. Of course. Because you you could be that. I'm the executive director of a, it wasn't black owned, but it's black geared community center. So I felt like I could be myself. Evidently not. Guess not. Well, well, well. Well, to my surprise. Right. To my surprise. Yes, please. Right. Um, uh, so, um, some some points here uh, uh, because uh, th- this also goes over uh, sexual preference as well. Um, as a um, um, excuse me, all black LGBTQ plus workers surveyed reported covering um, and black workers with disabilities. Reported covering as well. And both of these groups, uh, they said that they were extremely at a high rate of 93 percent say that they covered versus uh, 60 percent of LGBTQ plus and disability white workers. Man, so nearly 2.5 million working age black adults in the United States have a disability. And this is uh, from the labor statistics. And finally, uh, the, the report outlined behaviors defined in four categories. And this is appearance based uh, research supports that black professionals feel pressure to change aspects of their behavior or appearance. Affiliation based, uh, whether it's to minimize an accent or to check certain traits at the office door. Um, black people tend to code switch. Um, 
advocacy base with ongoing fears of discrimination and unconscious bias in the workplace. Black employees also fear defending or promoting the interests of one's group. And association base, a person of color who practices association based coverage, might purposely distance themselves from colleagues of the same racial or ethnic background. Yep. This is all stuff that we have seen yeah. in the workplace. And Dr. Oh, K, again, I'm with you on this number has to be higher. And wouldn't it be nice, and this is where I'm always stick as an educator, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't even have to carry the brain space for this nonsense? <sighs> like, the fact that we have, not we because I didn't create it, but the fact that the dominant culture has created the code switching is a direct, a direct byproduct of white supremacy. Yeah. I want to be very clear with listeners. You have code switching because of white supremacy, and it affects even lower class and poorer whites who are striving to be like the upper echelon folks. Mm. Country whites, whites who live in in, in the most rural areas, yeah. they also have to do a type of code switching to keep up with this white, rich, dominant culture ideal. And so wouldn't it be nice if we didn't do that and we actually let people develop instead of mm-hmm. chasing this ideal that actually isn't that smart. It is actually isn't the greatest and actually got a lot of their wealth and riches um, from from persecuting entire people groups. Right. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. So I always come back to that. I'm like, this is a, such a waste. It's such a waste of brain power. It's such a waste to have a system that literally does the opposite of what we said. What we say the dominant culture system is, system is doing, right? I don't like it. Right, right. Don't. It's so. It's so just. Ugh. Indeed, indeed. And we are going to put a pin in it right there. Um, that was our fifth and final story. I want to thank Dr. K for joining us on this episode of the Melanin Report. Always a pleasure. Dr. K, before we head out, what's on the church calendar? What's on the church calendar? Okay, so tomorrow I'm actually going to the United Justice um, coalition conference in New York City. Oh. So I'll report back about how that's going to go. Yes, please do. Um, Michael Eric Dyson will be speaking. Ooh. Angel Yee will be there. Um, there's a whole a Fat Joe's going. It's a whole lineup. So then all those people get to meet Dr. K. I hope so. Because I right. got to meet a lot of crazy people, cra- amazing people last year at this. It was The crowd was crazy. Dope. Um, Rock Nation does um, it in, in, in conjunction with the, the United Justice Coalition team. Um, and then it's also it's also PA Society Weekend in New York, so mm-hmm. I'll be there for that. There's going to be a lot of, you know, handshaking and politicking, so we'll see how that goes. I'm just nice. scoping out some things for the Black News Beat, yes. which is coming up next Friday. Um, we're having a Friday show, and then we'll have a Tuesday show, and then we'll be done for the year. Oh, so man. So that's my calendar. Beyonce tonight. Um, we're seeing Beyonce. Beyonce's breaking this weekend, y'all. Beyonce, a mm. renaissance of film. A renaissance a film by Beyonce. There we go. Uh, Color Purple's coming up. Yes, yes. Um, so make sure I get y'all tickets for that all over the country. And we need y'all to understand that Color Purple is a black lesbian love story. Yep, it sure is. So, so. so if you're going into the movie <laughs> thinking something else, Yo, right. just be prepared. <laughs> all right. Because I, I felt like I had to say that be, 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 because yep. um, I, I feel like some people are going to be surprised oh, mm-hmm. because they're going to think that. Because they ain't read the book. <laughs> they ain't seen the first. And the first movie does allude to it a little bit. But you don't realize mm-hmm. until you get older what's really going right. on. Right. So yeah, I it's it's interesting how um, people just kind of go into it, and I th- I don't know if they get more explicit. I have to I haven't seen the reviews on it yet, but mm-hmm. um, I'm interested to see how they handle that because the stage play to me was the most explicit. Mm. Amazing. Oh. The stage play 
First of all, Fantasia. Killed it. Always bowing down to Fantasia. She was phenomenal. But it is, um, yeah, it, the stage play handles it more explicitly than all the other mediums. The book, mm. even the book film so anyway i could talk all day about color purple <laughs> yeah and 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 look i could talk all day about fantasia uh, yes. <laughs> like, i love fantasia yeah, yeah, so I, much i feel like she might be the most successful american idoler absolutely um, by you, by uh by a factor of a million what happened to clay aiken i, I don't Didn't know he went over jennifer uh no Wasn't that that year no uh no he beat ruben no no wait didn't he lose the ruben Stutter? Yes, he lost. Who did Jennifer lose to? Because she didn't win it. Did uh, no, 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 she did Which not win. Which is crazy. Right. I don't even know who the person who won it was. I, I don't know. Amazing. Well, you, the listener, let us know who, <laughs> who, who Jennifer lost to. So, to wrap up our, our show, thanks again for joining us. Here is a quote from Nadia Owusu, who says, Code switching is dancing between vocal styles and rhythms. Mm. This dance is part celebration of the richness, intricacies, and blurry borders of our culture. I am Marquise Lupton. This is The Melanin Report. Trust your dopeness, and we'll see you on the other side. Peace.